Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Eyes of the Mind. My name is John. Ian remains out in army training, unable to uh, reach the rest of us in civilization. So I'm going to be doing a quick exalted episode on Ixalan now that we have most of the spoilers. Uh, currently, it is 9.15, September 15th, uh, in the morning, so that's going to be fun. Anyways... Let's go ahead and just get on into it, because Ixalan has a lot going on. It looks really fun, and uh, I'm excited to see uh, see what we get. So, uh, the overview is that there are four factions on the continent of Ixalan trying to find Oraska, the city of gold. And they are the white-black vampires, the blue-green merfolk, the Naya Sun Empire, which features dinosaurs, as well as the Grixis pirates. Uh, each one wants the, the to find the city for its own purpose. And uh, it's really cool how Wizards has made it so that the different factions are each represented in two colors. Um, white having uh, dinosaurs and vampires, blue having merfolk and pirates, black having pirates and mer uh, pirates and vampires, red having uh, pirates and dinosaurs, and green having uh, merfolk and dinosaurs. So uh, I'm looking at the card image gallery, and I'm just going to go ahead and talk about cards that I think are cool or noteworthy. And we're going to start... With the, with the uh, command cast preview card of Axis of Mortality. Four white, white for a mythic enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may have two target players exchange life totals. Note that one of the players doesn't have to be yourself. This card is going to be silly, political, and commander. Not only can you make sure that you survive, but you can also make sure that your opponents can... You can kill off opponents by just swapping life totals whenever you feel like it. As far as in uh, limited or standard... Standard, I don't really see this making a big wave. Uh, six mana enchantments tend to not be the uh, the course du jour for a format like Standard. But in Limited, I think this card's actually insane. You play it, your next turn, hopefully, you get you can survive, and then you just make it so that you always have the highest life total. Also, if you have any abilities that care about, say, triggering life gain, uh, they would also happen during that time. Also, with cards like Adanto Vanguard that we saw previewed earlier with life payments, you can try to get yourself as low as possible, then give your opponent your life total of one or two or whatever, and then try to kill them from there. I think Axis of Mortality is incredibly powerful and something that is going to uh, be on my radar for a card I want to pick up. As far as another cool card, uh, Bellowing Aegisaur is 5 and a white for a 3-5 dinosaur at Uncommon with Enrage. Whenever it's dealt damage, you put a Puzzle Puzzle counter on each other creature you control. So while he doesn't get bigger, uh, the rest of your creatures do. And someone was able to point it out on social media that Marath, uh, Will of the Wild, the Naya commander from the 2014 commander decks, and Bellowing Aegisaur kind of go infinite with infinite mana because you deal one to the Aegisaur, then you put a counter on, on Marath, and you r rinse and repeat. It's a very powerful effect. You also make your team infinitely large. I think this is a really fun card. I'm really excited to play with it in, uh, in the Dinosaur decks and in Limited because this is going to be annoying. A card that I also think is going to be very interesting, Duskborn Sky Marcher. Uh, white for a 1-1 vampire cleric with flying, and you can pay a white and tap it to give target attacking vampire plus one plus one until end of turn. Uh, Duskborn Sky Marcher is very reminiscent of several other white cards that are white one drops that tap to give an attacking creature plus one plus one. Uh, this requires a mana payment, so it's not, you know, amazing, but it's still very good, and I think it definitely starts a really interesting vampire curve-out deck. Uh, that might exist in standard and probably definitely exist in limited. Next, let's go ahead and talk about 
Oh, I don't know. Ixalan's Binding. Three and a white for an uncommon enchantment. It's the story spotlight card number one. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls until it leaves, and your opponents can't cast spells with the same name. While this card's not going to make any waves in maybe in, in a format like Commander, in Standard, I feel like this definitely has a place. Uh, for example, let's say you're playing against the Mono Blue Control deck or the Torrential Gear Hulk decks, and you get to Ixalan's Binding their Gear Hulks, and they can't cast anymore. That's going to really put a damper on what that deck is going to try to do. It's very good. I think it's also pretty decent against uh, other aggro decks. Uh, along the lines of, say, mono, like, ramming up red or the like. Being able to make it or shut it off so that they can't cast certain creatures is going to be very relevant, in my opinion. Another card that has not gotten a ton of, uh, a ton of, uh, press is Kinjali's Collar. White for an 0-3 human cleric at common. Uh, dinosaur spells you cast cost one less. And while there are dinosaurs at every part of the curve, and we are going to talk about a few of them, being able to play your big dinos early is definitely going to be something you're going to have to pay attention to. Being able to play a three jump on turn two is just going to be like Kinjali's Collar was a mana elf, was a Llanowar elf all along. Uh, moving on, let's talk about Awakening Sun's Avatar. Uh, this was Mark Rosewater's first preview card. Five white, white, white for a seven, seven dino avatar at Mythic. When it enters the battlefield, if you cast it from your hand, destroy all non dinosaur creatures. The avatar is definitely good. It's definitely very powerful. Uh, definitely the top end of a dino deck. And. I mean, it says on the card, all non-dinosaur creatures. Uh, again, with Kinjali's Collar, you can play this on turn six or multiples. You can play it even sooner. However, the big question is whether the dino deck in standard specifically is going to be, you know, the full Naya, which it could be. When you hit eight mana, like Awakening, like Awakening Sun's Avatar is, uh, you're likely to have triple white available to you. But again, it depends on whether or not the, uh, the, the format allows someone to play a eight mana seven seven dino. Ramadan Bread seems to have gotten a lot of tools we'll get to later, so uh, let's uh, let's keep an eye on Awakening Sun's Avatar in the future. Moving on to the blue cards, let's talk about Deep Root Waters. Two and a blue for an enchantment at Uncommon. Whenever you cast a Merfolk spell, create a 1-1 blue Merfolk creature token with Hexproof. Hexproof, Hexproof is a very powerful mechanic that uh, we all know and love, or hate, depending on who you are. And being able to get a Merfolk whenever you cast a Merfolk spell is going to be something that is going to be appealing to so many different people. Now, something that Deep Root Waters says that many people may not catch the first time is that it says cast a Merfolk spell. Oftentimes, these these types of effects will say a Merfolk creature spell, or you know, a or of some other variety to instigate or to to note that they want you to be casting creatures. However, Deep Root Waters synergizes with the tribal with the tribal card type that we saw in Lorwyn. So if you cast your nameless inversions that are, you know, tribal instant uh, changelings, that'll give you a 1-1 Merfolk. And Deep Root Waters just goes really, really well in decks that are a little bit older thanks to that tribal synergy. This is going to be a really powerful card in Limited, just being able to make an extra 1-1 for all your Merfolk. It's just like playing, this is almost as though you're playing an Edgar Markov as your commander uh, here whenever you cast a vampire, make another vampire, so... Deep Root Waters is a card that I have got my eyes on for the future. Next up, we already talked a little bit about Jace and the legendary Planeswalkers, but I think Jace is really good. You know, being a three-mana, three-loyalty Planeswalker, and remember, three-mana Planeswalkers always see play. And here, he gets to create a 2-2 blue illusion as his minus ability. And then if he ultimates, you just make more Jaces and more ultimates, and then you just draw more cards with plus one. I think Jace is going to have a hard time finding a place in standard at first, However, he's definitely good enough that he's going to see play. Next up, let's talk about Opt. 
blue, instant, common, scry one, draw a card. It's a very subtly powerful effect. Uh, the biggest discussion of whether or not Opt is going to see play in Modern, and if it does see play in Modern, where is it going to see play? I don't know if it's going to see play in Storm, because we tap out on our turn most of the time anyways. Sure, Serum Visions does, digs deeper, and sure, Sleight of Hand is almost as bad, is almost like Opt, but it's going to be an interesting decision point to see whether or not we're going to be playing copies of Opt and Storm. That said, I'm happy to see it getting a reprint. I'm happy that Standard's going to have Opt in the format so that it's able to uh, smooth out the draws of the blue control decks, or maybe even the blue tempo decks, but we'll see what the impact of Opt is in the future, whether or not it's going to be good or not. Uh, next, let's talk about River's Rebuke. Four blue blue sorcery at rare. Return all non-land permanents. Target player controls their owner's hand. Finally, we have a fixed Cyclonic Rift. Well, fixed. Cyclonic Rift being seven mana and instant and single blue definitely made it a EDH all-star. River's Rebuke, however, can also just act as a one-sided upheaval. Of course, not bouncing their lands. I think River's Rebuke is definitely a card that's going to, you know, be a blowout and limited. You're going to just bounce their whole board and kill them. In standard... There's a universe where this could de this could see play, bouncing their whole board and you know getting in or resetting their excellence bindings on whatever may you know be in your way. It's something that I think is going to be very interesting. Also, it's a story spotlight card, and spotlight cards are cool. Next, let's talk about spell pierce. Spell pierce, blue instant common counter target non creature spell unless it's controller pays two. The answers are coming back, and spell pierce is definitely one of the big ones that we're going to see. A, it's a modern staple being played in so many different blue tempo shells that it's kind of it kind of makes you dizzy just thinking about it. It's the first reprint of Spell Pierce in a kind of quote real set, not counting Modern Masters 3, since its original printing in Zendikar. It's been a while since we've seen Spell Pierce back in standard and I think it's going to be interesting to see how it exactly plays out. I feel like the control decks are still going to play a few copies here and there even though they're strictly worse than than the gate in the late game. But it's definitely going to help the pirate deck, especially when you look at Siren Storm Tamer, the blue 1-1 flyer that you can pay blue and sack it to counter a spell or ability that targets you or a creature you control. Spell Pierce is definitely a card that's going to be something that I'm going to be look, keeping an eye on and see how it, the standard metagame shapes up with Spell Pierce in it. Speaking of spells, Spell Swindle. Three blue-blue instant rare counter target spell. Create X colorless treasure artifact tokens where X of that spell is converted to mana cost and you can sack them to make one mana of any color. This is the new confirmed suspicions for your Torrential Gearhulk decks. Sure, drawing three cards is better than making a bunch of mana, but let's say that you're playing the Control Mirror, they cast their Gearhulk, you spell swindle it, then on then on your then on their turn they try to cast something and then you go, ha, Gearhulk, spell swindle, make more treasure tokens. Spell Swindle is going to be a card that's going to see a little bit of play. It's probably never going to be more than a two of in standard, but it's definitely something that is going to be notable whenever it goes off and makes a bunch of treasure. Let's move on to the black cards, and let's talk about uh, Boneyard Parley. Five black black sorcery at Mythic. Exile up to five target creature cards from graveyards. An opponent separates those cards into two piles. Put all cards from the pile of your choice onto the battlefield under your control, and the rest into their owner's graveyards. This is the ultimate factor fiction, except it's even better. Factor fiction for just creatures in yards? It does cost seven mana, and this is a sorcery, and this is definitely worth it. You just say, hey, you know... Pick your poison. Whether you're picking five creatures from your yard or you're playing against somebody who has the reanimator deck and commander and you just say, you know, let me look at your Terastodon, your Hoof. Uh, let me look over to your graveyard and take, say, I don't know, your Progenitus or whatever it is. Well, not Progenitus. He shuffles in. However, point being, Boneyard Parley is absurd. I don't think it's going to touch standard play, 
but it's definitely a big mythic spell. Still looking in the black cards, let's talk about Dire Fleet Ravager. Three black black for a 4-4 orc pirate wizard at mythic. I really like it what I'm seeing. It's a menace death touch 4-4. So that's going to be, that's interesting. Very hard to block. Very hard to deal with. Going to kill pretty much anything that it touches. And then when Dire Fleet Ravager enters the battlefield, each player loses a third of his or her life rounded up. So as an example, if you're at 20 life and you play Dire Fleet Ravager, one third of 20 is eight. So yay, I guess. Actually, it's closer to seven. In any case, break out the calculators and learn your thirds. That's going to be the most interesting part. Moving on, let's talk about Revel in Riches. Four black enchantment at rare. Whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, make a treasure. And the beginning of your upkeep, if you have ten or more treasures, you win. That's awesome. I love me some alternate win condition cards. And Revel in Riches definitely has the right flavor for me. Whether or not Revel in Riches is going to you know, make waves in standard or if it's even good limited, that's going to be an interesting question to find out. Again, five-man enchantments that don't do really anything the turn they come into play is, is a hard sell, but I'm interested to see where it goes. Next up is Vraska's Contempt, two black black for an instant at rare. Exile, target creature or planeswalker, and you gain two life. Sure, this isn't here as downfall, and downfall I think is still a little bit better than Contempt, but one more mana for exile and gaining two life, especially in a format with Amonkhet and, its, and some of its graveyard synergies, I think Contempt is going to see a lot of standard play. It's also a great turn to Gearhulk target, and you know, you know how it goes. Speaking of, I want to go back in the uh, alphabetical order and talk about Sword Point Diplomacy. Two and a black for a rare sorcery. Reveal the top three cards of your library for each of those cards. Put that card in your hand unless any opponent pays three life. Then exile the rest. So in multiplayer, if you're playing with three of your friends, they can each take three and you just get nothing. Or, depending on what type of deck you're playing, you can just draw three cards for three mana. Yes, it's a Punisher mechanic, and Punisher mechanics aren't very good, as um, as tribute from Board of the Gods and several other Punisher cards in the recent memory have shown us. But Soapport Diplomacy is priced to move, and whether it's 3-mana deal 9 or 3-mana draw 3, I think most most aggressive players are going to be pretty happy with Swordpoint Diplomacy. We're going to talk about my favorite color, red now, and let's talk about Charging Monster Sword, or I'm calling it Dino Axe. 4 and a red for a uncommon dinosaur it's a 5-5 trample haste and oh my god it's going to eat you as magic mites noted it is well above the curve and has all the french vanilla stats that you know and love it's going to come at you and it's going to come at you hard and it's going to make it make you wish that you brought an extra pair of pants look charity monster is not going to be you know changing the game and he's not i really don't think it's going to see playing standard but you pick it early you pick it often and limited and i don't really see how you're going to lose also, speaking of dinosaurs, Dinosaur Stampede is probably one of the best trumpet blasts I've ever seen. Two and a red instant, attacking creatures get plus two plus oh until end of turn. Dinosaurs you control gain trample. And the flavor text is just so on point. If you're in the way of a Ceratops charge and you're made of mere flesh and bone, then you're really not in the way. Dinosaur Stampede, definitely great with if you have the right number of dinos. So make sure you know if you've got the right dinos. Also, hey, lightning strikes back. Yay! It's an uncommon, which is not yay. I really wish Lightning Strike was a common, like it was back in Theros and back in M15. And I would love to hear the uh, the explanation as to why Lightning Strike has to get bumped up to uncommon. I understand that Lightning Strike is a very powerful card to have, but this just may be me being, you know, one of the old Magic players thinking Lightning Bolt's fine, but Lightning Strike should be fine at common, in my opinion. But 
I'm happy to see it back, and in standard, it's going to make a many, many waves, and I've already got my Theros copies ready to go for whatever standard deck I play that's going to be playing red, and uh, you know I'm going to be playing red. Uh, next up, let's talk about Otopek Huntmaster, one in a red for a 1-2 human shaman. Hey, dinosaur spells you cast cost one less. That's just like the the uh, Kinjali's Collar from white. And this guy can even tap to give a dinosaur haste. I mean, the dino curve is looking up. Here you go, turn one, Kinjali's Collar, turn two, Otopek Huntmaster, and then on turn three, you can play a five-drop dino and give it haste. And there's a lot of dinos that you're going to want to give haste. This guy's probably priced to move in standard and definitely a good card for limited. So make sure that you take him early and you take him often. Next, let's talk about Stormfleet Arsonist. Four and a red for a 4-4 orc pirate at an uncommon with raid. When it enters the battlefield, if you attacked with a creature this turn, target opponent sacks a permanent. One of my friends, Doug, mentioned how he felt that this wasn't a really a red ability. But cracking, Cracked Earth, one red, Sorcery Arcane, each player sacks a creature, is a red card in Magic's past. And while this does give red a, uh, a small out to land destruction or getting rid of enchantments, Really, it's a 5-mana 4-4 that removes something? Whether it's going to see play in limited is going to be the key question. But I think it's priced to move, and I think it's going to do a really good job there. Now, moving on, let's talk about Commune with Dinos. Green, Sorcery, Common, look at the top five cards of your library. Reveal a Dinosaur card or Land card. From among them, put it into your hand. Put the rest in the bottom of your library in any order. This is really a uh, an interesting version of Ancient Stirrings, which only looked for colorless cards. While Commune with Dinos is definitely not as good as uh, as Ancient Stirrings or any of the other cards like Commune with Nature, it's going to be a card that I think is going to see standard play with the fact that, you know, not only are you going to want to be able to find your dinos, you're going to need to find lands to play your dinos. Because dinos are big. And that's, I think, the biggest question here. How big are the dinos? And how big do you want to go up the curve? Speaking of, Drover of the Mighty is the Dino Dork. One of the green 1-1. One, one. Taps for any color of mana. And... It gets plus two plus two if you have another di if you control a dinosaur. So it helps you cast your dinos, and when you get your dinos, the drover can beat face with your dinos. All in all, sleeve them up for standard, boys, because meat is back on the menu. You know, speaking of dinos, let's talk about the enrage mechanic because enrage is really really cool. And there's a lot of different different ways that you can approach it, especially when you look at the R section of the green cards with ranging raptors, ravenous dagger tooths, and ripjaw raptors. Common, uncommon, and rare. The common gains two life when it's dealt damage, which is fine, but not exciting. Ranging Raptors is a two-three, and when it whenever it's dealt damage, you can literally rampant growth. That's really good. And the Ripjaw Raptor is a four-five for four that draws a card. These are definitely some payoffs that I am interested in for Enrage, and it's definitely going to make me wonder whether or not there's certain payoffs are going to be worthwhile. By the way, Savage Stop, Tuna Green, Sorcery at Uncommon. Put a plus plus counter target creature you control, and then that creature fights a creature you don't control. But it costs two less if you target a dino you control. I think this card's going to see standard play, and I think it's not even going to be close. Being able to have my big dino punch your little measly whatever, that's going to be big game. Especially if you're able to give your dinos trample for whatever reason you can think of. Savage Stomp is also, by the way, absurd and limited. Pick it early, pick it often. Another card that I am excited to see because I've never really played with it before in Standard or Limited, is Slice in Twain. Two green green instant at uncommon. Destroy target artifact or enchantment. Draw a card. You have my attention. While I'm unsure whether or not it's going to actually be kind of the bee's knees, I can see it being a decent sideboard card in blue-green decks that may be playing Torrential Gearhulk as an extra little uh, value Gearhulk target there. Teamer Energy is probably not going anywhere, while the mana is going to get... A little worse. 
Team Energy still has the right cards at the right costs to make at least to make Slice and Twain at least something that you consider if you're not if you don't want to sleeve up your appetites of the unnatural. Oh, by the way, as as far as enraged cards, snapping sailback four and a green for a four four flash that gets a puzzle puzzle counter when it's dealt damage. This is definitely an enraged an enraged card that you're gonna want to watch out for. I play this at the end of your turn, eat your three three, and then I have a five five on my turn that's attacking that if you just don't have the right card, turns into a 6-6 six, six or a 7-7, seven, seven. Eh, watch out. It is not going to go well for you. All right, gold card time. Call to the Feast, two white black for an uncommon sorcery. Create three one one white vampire creature tokens with lifelink. Three dudes, seriously. While flying is better than lifelink, Call to the Feast is definitely going to make a lot of people unhappy when they see it on the other side of the table. I already spent a little bit of time talking about Huat Li on Twitter, but Huat Li Warrior Poet is three red white for a three loyalty legendary planeswalker Huat Li. You, with a plus two, you gain life equal to the greatest power among creatures you control. For a zero, you make a three three green dino with trample. And for minus X, Huat Li deals X damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures. Creatures dealt this way can't block this turn. My first big point of contention with Watley is finally a, Mo a Boris Planeswalker who's not just a mono-white Planeswalker who's angry at the world. I think I said that way back in Shadows Over Innistrad Planeswalker episode, and I am glad that somebody at Wizards was probably listening. Maybe. I have no confirmation bias for that at all, but I will take credit even though I don't deserve any at all. As far as the card, plus two to gain life is not great. Zero to make a 3-3 three, three is great. And minus X for an, for a Aurelia's Fury effect, that's going to make a lot of creatures not be able to block, and it's definitely going to help kill your opponent when you have all the dinos in play. Speaking of dinos, Registrar Alpha, this card's insane. Three red green for a four four. Your other dinos have haste, and when it enters the battlefield, you make a three three dino with trample that also technically has haste. This card's insane. Big question is whether it's better than Glorybringer, because Glorybringer is a little more insane. But if you're playing dinos. And remember, with dinos, you can play this on turn three if you look at the uh, the different dino dorks that exist in the Naya colors. So it's interesting. I'm curious to see what it does. Next, we have Sky Terror, red-white for a 2-2 dino flying menace, which is an interesting type line. We've seen red-white have flying trample thanks to High Spire Mantis in Kanza Tarkir, but a 2-2 for two with flying and menace? This creature is almost impossible to block. I can't imagine a, a universe where blocking Sky Terror is easy. Good is harder, because if you have flyers, say you're blue, they're going to be big flyers, and Sky Terror is not going to really get in that easily. But I'd watch out for Sky Terrors if I were you. Next, let's talk about Avona, Butcher of Magan. Three black-white for a 4-4 legendary creature vampire knight at Mythic. She's got Vigilance, she's got Lifelink, and you can tap and pay 7 life to destroy target non-land permanent, but you can only play this ability on your turn. Vona would be much better if you could do that on any player's turn, but obviously they wanted to tone down the power level a little bit of our legendary vampire knight. Also, definitely a shoe-in for any Edgar Markov deck, or any life gain deck for that matter. Vona definitely helps you uh, deal with anything that may come your way as far as commander is concerned. Also, by the way, uh, Vraska Relic Seeker is really cool. Four black-green for a six-loyalty plane legendary planeswalker Vraska, her plus two makes a 2-2 black pirate with menace, which is fine. I wouldn't want to pay six mana for a 2-2 menace, but Vraska has a lot of other utility, like minus three, destroy target artifact, creature, or enchantment, create a colorless creature artifact token, or creature treasure artifact token that you can tap to make a mana, 
So you get to trade one of their things and you get a you get a treasure. That's cool. But her ultimate is probably the uh, the most flavorful I've seen in a while. Minus ten target life t- player's total becomes one. It's nice. It's simple. And oh man, does it work? Does it go very very nicely when you compare it to uh, a Johnny Mentor of Heroes of you gain a hundred life. Both are cool. Both are sweet. And Vraska also joins the party of Planeswalkers at Ultimate when you have doubling season in play. And while I want to say that we're done, not only are there vehicles, which they're fine, and there's tribal artifacts, which are also fine, we have to talk about the double face cards. Oh my god. We have five artifacts and five enchantments. Legendary enchantments at that. We've got a vehicle and a few and equipment and a few other artifacts that are all sweet. And then we have the legendary enchantments, which are also all awesome. But I really want to focus on the enchantments because this cycle is crazy. First up, Legion's Landing is one mana for a 1-1 vampire with lifelink. That's fine. And if you get Battalion, you flip it into Adanto the First Fort, which adds white to your mana pool. Unsurprising. And you can pay three mana to make a 1-1 white vampire with lifelink. Talk about a mobilization. Adanto is definitely a card that you're going to want to build around and really pushes any sort of white vampire deck to be very aggressive. Especially if you're able to pick up any of, or if you're able to play any of the real big tribal payoffs. And and that those tribal payoffs are priced to move, that you can play them in standard. The blue one is Search for Azkanta, one of the blue for a legendary enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library. You may put it into your graveyard. Then if you have seven or more cards, or threshold, you transform it into Azkanta, the Sunken Ruin. It's a legendary land that taps for blue, and you can pay two and a blue and tap it. To look at the top four cards of your library, reveal a non-creature, non-land from among them, put it into your hand, put the rest on your bottom in any order. This is a control player's dream. Oh my gosh. Being able to pay three mana when your opponent does nothing to say, oh hey, now I have a counter spell, or now I have a draw spell. It's definitely something that's going to be powerful. It doesn't find your win conditions, so it can't find, say, it can't find, say a Torrential Gear Hulk, but it does a good enough job as is. Argwill's Bloodfast is one in the black for another legendary enchantment. You can pay one in the black and pay two life to draw a card, which is effectively greed. And then it has the uh, flip condition that's, I think, the most interesting to try to pull off. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you have five or less life, you may transform it into the Temple of Eklazots, a legendary land that taps for black, and you can pay, you can tap and sack a creature to gain life equal to the sacked creature's toughness. But in order for it to flip, you're at five life, and that's that's problematic. Whether or not you're going to have the time to sack your creatures to stay alive long enough may, might make Temple of Aklataz not great. But that said, the power of this card is not on the backside. With some of these flip cards, their power is in the reverse side in the land. Argyll's Bloodfast? It's a two-mana greed that you pay two mana and pay two life to draw a card. That is power right there. Now, let's talk about the red one, because the red one has a lot of people up in arms. So the red one was previewed by Wedge at the Mana Source. And I'm pulling it up right now because it's not in the card in gallery, so bear with me. <laughs> it is Vance's Blasting Cannons. Three and a red for a legendary enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library. If it's a non-land card, you may cast this that card this turn. Then when you flip it, or if you flip it, you need to cast three spells in a single turn. So the big question is, where does this go? It can't play lands, which is not great. Ideally, you'd want it to be able to play lands, but if you're playing red and you see a land, you probably don't want it anyways. 
So Vance's Blasting Cannons is definitely something that is that I'm going to be keeping an eye on for Standard. Because, my God, the backside, the backside is also really good. Because then you look at Spitfire Bastion. By the way, all these lands are legendary. You can't have multiples in play. You add red to your mana pool for a tap, or you can pay two into red and tap it to lightning bolt something, a creature or a player. People are saying this is too slow or whatever, but no, no, no. Spitfire Bastion is actually just insane. Whether it's a control deck finisher or an aggro deck finisher, being able to just tap four lands and just go, okay, three you, three you, three you, that is incredibly powerful and a lot of versatility for any, for any red deck. Spitfire Bastion is might be the best of the cycle, if, except for Search for Ascanta being pretty good. And that's not even getting to the growing rights of Itlamok, the green one. It's 200 green for Legendary Enchantment. When there's the battlefield, look at the top four cards of your library. And then you may reveal a creature to put in your hand and put the rest on the bottom in any order. And then if you have four creatures on your end step, it transforms into Itlamok, Cradle of the Sun. Tap for green, and you can tap it for green for each creature you control. It's a fixed Gaia's Cradle. It's insane. Itlamok is definitely a card that is going to see play in Commander. It's probably going to see play in Cubes. As well as several of these cards are going to see play in Cube. I'm at least considering a few of them. Itlamok is just a card that I think is going to see a lot of play, and it's probably the one that's most likely to see play in older formats. Itlamok is definitely a card that I am going to be very cautious of as the uh, format evolves. And that does it for the cards that I really want to talk about. It took me a little bit longer than I anticipated happening for a one, for a Exalted episode. But Ixalan had a lot going on for it, and we still have to talk about Iconic Masters at some point. Jeez, Iconic Masters is so juiced. Well, in any case, I want to thank you all so much for listening and, and tolerating our, uh, our intermittentness while Ian is currently in training. He's, uh, he's currently away for technology, so make sure you leave him a bunch of cool messages on his Twitter, which is at DixonIJ, that is D-I-X-O-N-I-J. Also, you can reach me on Twitter at JWiley129, and you can reach the podcast on Twitter at EyesInTheMize, or if you have a more personal question, you can shoot us an email at EyesInTheMize at gmail.com. As always, we want to hear your feedback on how best, how best we can improve the podcast for you, our loyal listeners. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you're all as excited for dinos as I am. Because I love me some dinos. And we'll talk to y'all next time.